Father, we are a people who are full of fears. We fear the future. We fear job loss. We fear cancer. We fear our kids headed in the wrong direction. We fear war. We fear we f- we're f- surrounded by our own fears and um, understand that every new fear is one more evidence that we don't trust you. That the promises that you've made us uh, have not yet reached. They've not yet seeped out of the head to the heart. They are known, they are believed, but they are not possessed. And so um, we come to you first to confess that we do not trust the God who made us and redeemed us in Christ Jesus uh, in a way that would rid us of our fears. So we've come this morning to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. We've come to be reminded of how great and how sovereign is the God uh, who is and trust that in the midst of our time together this morning, you will do something, you will awaken something in our souls that's called confidence in the Lord. A confidence that he is moving all of heaven and earth towards a desired and good goal. And that this God has never permitted anything into our lives designed to hurt us. Give us that confidence, Father. And in response to that, responding to him, to you, O God, we give. And it's our delight to do so. Use every dime to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I read 35 verses to you. I hate to read that much to you, but um, I tried to break the story up as best I could. Here we go. Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 through 35. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the stripe shall be your wages, then all the flock bore stripe. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has given or has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padam Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. 
Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel, Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had and rose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban to the, on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his uh, kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and take, driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me? And he did not... Uh, why did you not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have taken that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Rachel, to Jacob's tent and into Leah's, Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever and ever Gang, uh, it isn't often that the Bible devotes this much space uh, to, to one single individual man's life. Think about it. Uh, who else in the Bible do you know has this much space devoted to his life? Name them. Uh, I tried to think of it. Uh, certainly David. David probably has more space devoted to him. Um, maybe Moses. But Moses is um, somewhat not his life as much as it is as his leadership, but certainly a lot of space devoted to Moses. Um, maybe Abraham, maybe Joseph, but really not as much space devoted to them. I and mean, this is 25 chapters that is about Jacob. That's a lot to devote to one man's life. And when you find something like that, that is when you realize that there's a lot being said about Jacob, you, you, you must, I'm sure, realize, I'm, I think... That God's up to something here. That is, the Holy Spirit has given this much information for a reason, or for reasons. And, and one of his reasons, I'm convinced, is so that the rest of us, uh, 4,000 years hence, can, can examine this life and, and learn certain things that would be true about our life of faith. That is, what does it look like? What does it contain? What can you and I expect? That is, in broad strokes, it certainly doesn't give us the specifics or the details, uh, but it does give us some themes. That is, if you examine Jacob's life, you see certain themes 
um, that we can perhaps benefit by learning something from them. Gang, the intent of this is not to give you another biography so that you can stuff your little heads with more informational biographical uh, data about a man. The purpose behind this is redemptive. There's, there's a redemptive purpose in this. You know, reading all that, I know it's hard to listen, hard to, listen to, but guys, there is, there is something being said here. Now, what is it? Why are we given all of this? Well, I want to suggest to you guys is that what you're getting is the, is an overview of a, of a life and a believer's life. And in that overview, you, you detect certain themes that will be true about all of us in our life. Not the, not the same detail, not the same specifics, but certainly themes. What can a Christian expect over a lifetime of walking or chasing after Jesus? What kinds of things can all of us bank on? This episode in the life of Jacob supplies us with at least a partial list. Um, it doesn't tell us everything. No, no one biography ever could. But it does include some of the larger themes that all of us can expect. It helps us or it allows us to define what is normal. You know, guys, I don't think I've told you this story. I know I've told it in smaller things, but I don't think I've told this from this pulpit. I, I could be wrong, but... Um, Years ago, when, when our girls were um, younger and still at home, and we lived in another house over on Anniston Cove, and we had a table where we had supper. I mean, we were somewhat abnormal. We had supper together. Um, but um, the girls, I had two girls in junior high, and, and then one that was headed towards junior high. And um, we, we would gather for mealtime. And I'm telling you, uh, every young was a talker. We're all talkers. We're all good talkers. And... Um, I mean, to get in a word edgewise around our table was a challenge. We have a, we have a picture in our home of, of my daughter Megan sitting at the table with her hand up. That is, you know, when everybody shuts up, it's my turn next, you know. Well, Gracie, our eldest, um, <laughs> rarely shut up. I mean, she just, you know, that just junior high banter. And, and folks, I loved it. I loved it. It's one of the things that I miss most about an empty home, uh, an empty nest. Uh, I don't have an empty home. I have a wife. But, um, uh, the empty nest. Um, you know, I love those conversations. I love the action and the activity of yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so one particular day, and I, I don't know what was going on, but it was two junior high girls. And I imagine that sitting at the same table. And, and Gracie is telling this story, and and it's on and on, and she said this, and she did this, and you did that, and you know, and it was just I was eating my uh, meatloaf and not bothering a soul, and listening to the whole thing, and she's just off. And you know, there's Megan with her hand up, waiting for her turn. And when when Gracie finally finished this long junior high tale, um, I said, with great erudition and wisdom, I said, um, well, darling, about the only thing I can say is at least you sound normal. She got up from her chair at the end of the table. She came around to where I sat and she hugged my neck and she said, Daddy, 
that's probably the nicest thing that you could have said to me. You know, guys, sometimes it's nice to know we're normal, you know? What I'm saying is, what you get here in this story is a glimpse of normalcy. A glimpse of things that all of us can count on. What is normal about a Christian life? Well, there's some things in here that you can, you can bank on them. They're going to be a part of every normal, they're, they're just a part of Christian normalcy. And here we are 4,000 years later, and this is going to tell us some of the things that you and I can expect. It'll tell us a little bit about what it means to be normal as a believer. Three things that I want to draw your attention to that I'm telling you, you can bank on. Number one, you can bank on God's leadership surprises. Let me, let me explain what I mean from this story. Um, you know, you, you settle into a lifetime, uh, to a lifestyle, and, and life is just humming right along, and, you know, your uh, career is fairly prosperous, and, and uh, your health is tolerable, and, and your, your, your marriage has kind of settled down, and, and, and over the span of a couple of weeks, or maybe a couple of days, or maybe even a couple of hours, my life gets turned upside down. Um, and I didn't see it coming. Well, m- maybe I saw a little bit of it coming. You know, there was a job loss or maybe a car accident or maybe a health report. You know, I didn't know cholesterol numbers could go quite that high. Um, or you find out something about a piece of infidelity on the part of your spouse. And all of a sudden, everything that looked normal... Everything that I defined as normal, everything that I grew to love as routine is swept away. You know, uh, I, I think it was late, I'm not a tennis buff, but uh, some of you are. Late June, early July, there's a, there's a world-class tennis, tennis tournament taking place called Wimbledon. It takes place over in London. I think you know a little bit about Wimbledon. Well, I was reading an article, and I think it was on July the 4th that I was reading. It was just a little excerpt about something that happened at Wimbledon. And it was in the ladies' final. And I want to say it was on July the 3rd, but the dates aren't important. But um, the, the ladies' final is, you know, you know going to town. And, and a streaker jumps out of the stands and races onto the court in this women's final. And the article in the commercial appeal on the sports page was saying that as a result of this streaker incident... All of the security rules were going to have to be changed. Everyone was going to be affected. And uh, all these sweeping changes would have to be put in place because they had to provide more security for the players and the, and the fans. Now, my point is simply this. Guys, that happens to us. Things come streaking into our life. And as a result of it having streaked in, everything has to change. Because we've got to now accommodate this new reality that has just erupted in our little lives of routine. And it's those new realities, those new developments that God is behind all of them, by the way, steering and leading and guiding. And all I'm saying is, guys, those are leadership surprises. Didn't see it coming. But all of a sudden, without any particular... Preparation. Normalcy is redefined. 
And I want you to notice how he does this with Jacob. In verses 1 and 2, first of all, Laban, I mean, excuse me, Jacob overhears that his brother-in-laws are trashing him. They're talking bad about him. And then in verse 2, it says that Jacob realizes that his father-in-law doesn't like him anymore. He's lost favor with his father-in-law. And then, right after that, in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, I want you to get out of here. Guys, do you, understand, do you see what took place there? <laughs> this is how God normally leads his people. What he does is take external circumstances, using those external circumstances to awaken uh, an inner voice. That is, as a result of his brother-in-law's trashing him and his father-in-law no longer liking him. And then in response to that, Jacob is wondering, why? What's going on? And all of a sudden, God speaks, I want you to leave. There, what you see is God is pushing and pulling. He's working from the inside. He's working from the outside. The, the, the directions are centripetal and centrifugal. He is being pushed and pulled. Because God used those outer circumstances to confirm something that he senses that he heard God said. And the message is, I want you to leave. Gang, you can expect that. You can expect those things that will you didn't see it coming, but over a matter of hours or days or weeks, God has changed your direction. From out of nowhere... God has given us a piece of leadership that upsets my whole apple cart. I don't want to move to Minnesota. Well, in a matter of a couple of days, my whole life is being dramatically altered. Why? You know, um, I wonder if Jacob asked that, but you know, Jacob has never told Jacob has never told why he's leaving. Um, and I, I'll say this to you, when, when God's leadership surprises comes into your life, you're going to ask the same thing. Why? why? Why is he doing this? Why? What's going on? And you may get some answers, you may not. I heard a story one time where a, a, a girl who was a dancer who was practicing for the, the lead role of a lifetime. In the midst of the practice, she falls and breaks her leg, and she's just thinking, what has happened? She goes to the hospital, and she gets her leg fixed, and she meets a physical therapist that she falls in love with, and she marries, and, and everything turns out happy. You may get one of those, but you may not. You may get a leadership surprise, ladies and gentlemen, that will do nothing but leave you with unanswered whys. I don't know. But part of God's sovereign rule in our lives is that he introduces things that we didn't see coming. And it takes routine and turns it upside down. And by the way, I don't want you to miss this part either. What God is asking of Jacob is going to include a lot of difficulty. This ain't going to be easy. Uh, I mean, he's going to have to pack up and move to another faraway place. And this is, not, this, this is no simple process. It's not like God is saying, I want you to stop eating white bread and start eating whole wheat. No, 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 no. This is far more difficult than that. And these difficulties are going to lead him right into the midst of some trouble. You know, guys, um, I, I really would like for you to see this. If you can keep your finger in Genesis 31. Um, my, if Jacob follows God's leadership, you know where he's going to go? Right in the midst of trouble. 
I want you, I want you to see this just one more time. Uh, it's in Exodus 14, if you can find that real quick. My obedience to God's leadership doesn't insulate me from trouble. That's my point. But I want you to see this. This is, remember that the story that Moses is down in Egypt and he's getting everybody out of Egypt and uh, all those ten terrible plagues and Pharaoh has finally said, all right, get out of here. And, and so then they leave and Pharaoh changes his mind and starts chasing after all of Israel. Remember all that? Well, look at chapter 14, verse 2. This, this is comical to me. Um, 14.2. Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, God comes to Moses and says, listen, take him right over there. Take him right over there. That's fine. I want him, I want him to stay right there. Now, now, look at verse 9 with me. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. <laughs> Do you see what happened? God takes them right over here so that they can face the army of Pharaoh. Because that's where he's going to send the army of Pharaoh. <laughs> you know, here they are following after God. And, you know, God told us to camp over here. And that's so they go and camp over there. And next thing they know, here's an army around on the outskirts. You know, following the, dis- the, the, the directions of God is not going to insulate you from trouble. God's up to something in Exodus 14. And I can assure you, he's up to something in your life. But you may not be able to unravel it all just this moment. All I'm saying, guys, is Christian normalcy includes God's leadership surprises. Just a part of it. Here's the second thing. I'm going to just mention this kind of quickly and move on because this is not a surprise to anybody but it's interesting, it was interesting to me as I studied this story, that um, here's, the, here's the covenant-keeping guy, Jacob, and everybody's talking bad about him. <laughs> his brother-in-laws have turned on him. His father-in-law is suspicious of him and, and uh, uh, is hostile towards him. And then, you notice in verse 7, I've been working for those uh, non-covenant keepers for years, and they changed my wages ten times. You know, working for, um, for non-Christians can, be, can contain a lot of injustice, ladies and gentlemen. And then not only that, the girls say that as Rachel and Leah say, well, you know, we don't have anything to do with him anyway. He just sold us as chattel. He, he doesn't value us very much either. The point is, guys, um, chasing after this God is not going to win you a whole lot of applause from the, from the world. I've I got to tell you this story. I mean, you know, guys, when you're... When you march to the beat of a different drummer, you're going to get spit out, particularly if the drum beat originates in heaven. Um, speaking of a drum beat, I'll, I'll just <laughs> tell you real quick. But this past Wednesday, we had a little episode here at, the, at Gracie Van that really, I'm telling you, it took years, off, it took months off my life. Um, uh, you know, we <laughs> stay with me. Um, we are we really try to be a good neighbor to this community. We we want the we want this community to rejoice that we're even here. And um, so on Tuesday we get a phone call from across the street at Houston High School, which we love. And Houston High School is asking for permission to have a band 
that is coming in from another state. They're coming in from Illinois. A band, I mean a marching band, uh, they don't have room over them for, their, for them to practice over there, wants to know if they can use our property to, to practice on. And so Bill Seeley uh, took the phone call and told them they could, which was a very good decision. Uh, that's, that's the kind of thing we want to say. We want to say yes whenever we can say yes. So I, I finished with my, um, with my lunch appointment, and I, I got in here about a quarter to two, and I noticed all these people back in the back back there. I mean, lots and lots of people. And, and uh, so I thought, well, what's this up to? You know, I, I don't know what goes. I just work here. And so I, I, <laughs> I drove back there, and there's this 18-wheeler truck um, with all these band instruments and drum and bugle core written on the side of it, or drum and bugle something or other, and just... 200 kids, high school kids, roaming up and down here. And <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> Except for the female parts of this band were in an advanced stage of disrobement. Did you get that? <laughs> I mean advanced stages of disrobement. I mean, even the women on our staff were And so I drive by there, and I just see all these people with very few clothes on uh, practicing. So I come in, and I think, what are we going to do? And so, you know, being the sweet, you know, very calm, mellow fellow that I am, back there, and I got a hold of the band director or a band director, and I said, we're glad to have you. You're welcome to use this. We're glad you're here. But you got to get some clothes on these kids. I mean, it was hot. But I mean, this wasn't, this wasn't the stuff that I see when I work out down in the Germantown Community Center. Uh-uh. I mean, this was disrobement. And I said, and so he said, all right, all right. So he goes over to the, to the group. He gathers them all together and I'm just, and, um, and so they have to go get their t-shirts, which are really, you know, kind of right over there. And so, you know, they all walk over there to get their T-shirts, and they, they put their... And, and I'm standing right out there, and it's like... And so I decided that I was going to walk right past them just to make sure that they knew that I wasn't particularly intimidated by their... But I'm telling you, here, here's the point. <laughs> I don't think I want a whole lot of fans. Um, and I don't think the things that were being said... And, and very honestly, I probably deserve some of it. I probably didn't handle. By the way, it's interesting to me that some of this disfavor of the world we probably deserve. I mean, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, they're thieves. They're liars. They're deceivers. And, you know, that'll get you persecuted, all right? And, and very frankly, I'm not sure that I didn't deserve some of that. But the, it is true, ladies and gentlemen. You march to the beat of a drummer that wrote this book. And they're not going to applaud as you walk by. That's just something you can count on. Let's go to number three, because this is really what I think is the primary message of the story. It's, it's something else that, I mean, it, to me it stands out about the whole story. And it's the primary thing that I think the Holy Spirit would have us take away. It's the primary thing that I think the Holy Spirit would have you know. And have us expect as people who belong to the living God. It is this, that is, the third thing that you can expect as a believer is the intervening 
sustaining, protecting, shielding, delivering grace of your Heavenly Father. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 22 and 23. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. Now, gang, what do you guess Laban is thinking right about now? You think he's, oh, come on, y'all, let's go catch up with him so I can get in just one last handshake. I mean, I just want to hug the girls one more time, make sure they got everything they're going to need for this awful long journey that they're on. No, no. Ladies and gentlemen, Laban has blood on his mind. They stole his gods. They stole his gods and they tricked him. Laban has got blood in his eyes. He's got blood on his mind. And when he ever catches up with these no-good scoundrels, there's going to be some blood on the ground. Oh, what Laban might have done to this covenant family. Had not God stopped him. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the point. God did stop him. Look, look at verse 24. Um, 24 says, but God. And that's really all you have to say. Although you pay me to say a little bit more, so let me say a little bit more. Had not God intervened, this would have been an ugly, bloody mess. But what stands out about this whole scene is how the whole thing stops on a dime when God intervenes. It is heading in a very bad, ugly direction, and it comes to a screeching halt with a, but God. This thing is is going downhill fast, but God. My brother and sister in Christ, it is that but God that you can count on. He has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And whatever it is that's going on in your complex little life, God is governing the whole event. And he turns it whithersoever he wishes just like you see him doing in the life of Jacob. And by the way, I want you to notice how he does it for Jacob. He enters into the dream life of a pagan. (laughs) God sets distinct limits on what these enemies of the covenant family can do. You see, God not only controls the enemies, he controls the dream life of the enemies. And his presence in this story changes everything. It's headed in this direction. But God got involved and it stopped on a dime. He's the X factor. He's the, uh, he's the holy wild card. He's the great variable. He's the great unpredictable. He is the key to Jacob's survival. He is the key to ours. I can say this, guys, that it does appear that he comes pretty much at the last minute. 
That, that seems to be his way. He takes us to the edge of sanity, where we're thinking we're going under for the last time. And then he shows up. And guys, one more thing and I'm done. Perhaps the most beautiful part of this whole, the most beautiful feature of this whole thing in my mind is that he is intervening on the part, on behalf of some people who are liars, deceivers, thieves, and they got idols in their saddlebags. Gang, the point is, their sin doesn't run him off. He steps in on behalf of some people who are so broken, so flawed, so inconsistent, so sinful. Like us. He's not delivering a bunch of choir boys, ladies and gentlemen. It's not as if he said, oh, these people are such fine, fine people and they serve me so faithfully. I need to go deliver them. It's a good thing. Because if God only delivered good people, there wouldn't be anybody delivered. The only people he pours grace on, gang, are people like these people. They're broken people. They're sinful people. They're inconsistent people. They're wayward people. They're people like us. No one has ever, ever, ever earned anything from the hands of God. My best obedience is flawed obedience. And everything that he gives me is because of who he is, not because of anything that I earned from him. Gang, you know those verses 10 through 13 in the story. Jacob makes the statement that, you know, I got all the sheep now because God gave them to me. Everything that Jacob has... And now, including his life, is due to God's taking care of him. That's something that you can count on. Our Father, I I do pray that your people will be reminded that there um, there is another whole wild card in the formula. You. That in the midst of whatever pain that we may be experiencing, there is another, there is another dimension that we have not yet factored in. And I pray, O oh God, that you would enable us to factor it in now, knowing that there's nothing good about us that has earned your your intervention, but that you see fit to come to the aid of a man as broken as I am. Thank you for grace that refuses not to love me. It's the only grace that could ever change someone as sinful as we are. We commit ourselves to an ongoing investigation and appreciation of all that you've done for us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.